0: Excelsior? No. Excelsior? Excelsior? Excalibur. Excalibur.
1: (laughs) It's Friday, May 24th, 2019, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, Dutch News contributing editor and proud owner of freshly minted business cards.
0: And I would say um, recording equipment terminator. As I am well.
1: also a <laughs> recording equipment terminator. <laughs> With me today is Gordon Derrick, my fellow contributing editor at Dutch News and parent of a goddamn 16 year old child. I don't
0: even want to go there
1: uh absent notably is paul peters a uh, master student in civil engineering and uh Gert wildersmacher i assume that he is uh, gone to some sort of prison for what he has been saying about Kurt wilders on twitter almost certainly yeah, yeah he almost. would deserve it honestly. he would yeah yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah yeah so check out paul's tweets about about wilders in the wake of the european election results
1: so uh, gefeliciteerd met your uh, you met your son's of
0: uh, i am just absolutely bewildered i don't know what this? what's happened, I don't know whether time's gone I don't know why I feel so old or why I've got a bad back You, you have a know, bad back? You accumulate. are an old I'm like, officially an old man you're now You're officially an old yeah. man now, there's that's no going crazy back.
1: Yeah, There's no going back, man
0: Yeah. Um And uh, yes, so, so, so you have uh, an announcement as well. I have an announcement. Yeah.
1: It's a big, it's kind of a big announcement. It kind of is, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have a new job.
0: Wow, congratulations. I am going
1: to be working as the Hague correspondent for uh, CNS, which is a uh, American news agency. Mm. Um, I've been doing some freelance work for them from the beginning of the year, yeah. but I'm going to be leaving my current uh, communications position at the TU right. to uh, go do this full-time-ish. Um, I will still oh. be here for Dutch News. And so.
0: CNS stands for? Uh,
1: Courthouse News Service. We yeah. mostly cover uh, legal so court uh, reporting, cases. so it's court cases. So yeah. I'm covering the European courts, as well and... as some science and technology yeah. stuff. And yeah. I
0: believe you're off to uh, Hamburg this weekend. For...
1: I'm off to Hamburg for uh, uh, the International Law of the Sea Tribunal, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and then I'm then I'm leaving directly from there to go to, uh, right. to Belgium to cover Belgian
0: elections what's, on Sunday. What's Aquaman done now?
1: um that's an excellent question (laughs) and it's all very complicated and boy like there's like there's a sealed
0: indictment there's a sealed (laughs) indictment
1: there's about eight people in the world who care about like the legal aspects of this case i mean i think politically like it it has a has a bigger meaning um and all of them are extremely passionate and i think i've spoken to all of them this week and i know more about maritime (laughs) law than i ever ever wanted to
0: yeah but That's where these things go, and and this new will this new job uh, mean that you can afford to replace all the uh, recording equipment that you're destroying at uh, I... the studio?
1: <laughs> so we've been lamenting <laughs> for the last two weeks. Three weeks, a few weeks, that we have uh, broken a piece on the microphone. That's been a bit of a hassle to deal with it. But finally, because we have so many lovely Patreon supporters, we have uh, afforded to purchase a new piece, Mm. which Paul ordered and brought over last night, and I promptly broke again this morning. (laughs) So we still have a sad
0: microphone in In a a, blanket. In a blanket, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, So it's not a great situation, (laughs) um, but I will be, out of my own personal money, (laughs) purchasing a replacement piece for this uh, and... Hope, hoping for the best. Yeah. Maybe I just won't touch it. I'll let you do it. Maybe you shouldn't. Yeah. It seems Maybe like you it's kept for the the away best. from it. No. Yeah. Uh, so Paul's not here, and I did the OPF last week, so I think this means you. Uh, you got to do the upf. So it's my
0: turn to do the hef. Okay. Well, the upf uh, this week uh, is not concern, uh, to concern Thierry Boudet thankfully thank God, thank God. Uh, no this is all to do with Eurovision yes uh, which of course was a, dri- a triumph so much better a triumph for the Netherlands yes the first time in 44 years I we think. will talk about first this time later in my lifetime we will talk Euro- about this later in the Eurovision.
1: podcast we'll talk about it later
0: yeah um, so even though it had been less than a week since the Netherlands won this year's Eurovision Song Contest with Arcade by Duncan Lawrence there's already been plenty of Eurovision related ophef um, not least about which city is going to host next year's show and who will be its inter- significant presenters yes but the biggest opf uh, arguably was about the girl who gave the Dutch points on Saturday's finale which is TV presenter Emma Votelboer. Uh She'd been campaigning for the past few months to fulfil her long-term dream of announcing the Dutch votes at Eurovision. Uh, she got the job and she was unable to contain her excitement when she delivered the Dutch dues points in a great big sort of pink. Yeah, she um, had on a very um, interesting outfit. <laughs> um,
1: she was very enthusiastic. Yeah. Uh, but all of those things I think are fairly normal for the people who announce That's the That's kind points. of Stan
0: Eurovision. Yeah, what yeah. was different, of course, was um, uh, the, the absolute fantastic uh, burn that she delivered towards Madonna she she
1: brought that Dutch directness <laughs> right to the forefront of Eurovision yeah
0: yeah but Madonna was uh, I think an official victim of Dutch directness but so basically she said thank you very much for Madonna's autotune yes yeah, because, that is exactly what she Madonna said Madonna was just singing horrendously flat yeah well yeah. a quarter tone flat I believe yeah, our mar- expert yeah has it was us.
1: Uh, we were, what did she she said yeah we're, we were really thankful for Madonna and for autotune yeah for autotune lines, yeah, yeah. which was brilliant it was the <laughs> highlight I think of the oh, show yes for sure uh, but it didn't all go over so well.
0: No, so no, not everyone was uh, that enamoured with Emma. Uh, former singer Patti Brad uh, said she thought Votelboer behaved r- ridiculously. She said, quote, she has 30 seconds to represent the Netherlands, and now the whole of Europe thinks we're a country full of idiots. I mean, which is not wrong. Uh, yeah, and did people not think that before? I know. <laughs> Come on. Uh, Brad, who's 64 years old and is known for having chalismas in her reality TV show, jumping from diving boards, putting cucumbers in her mouth, and ice skating pink tutus... Uh, the latter three, all on live television, thinks that it should be forbidden for someone to be put on air just because he wants attention.
1: I um I I see Paul has had fun writing the script has, this yeah. week. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I've very much enjoyed reading it out. So thanks for that, Paul.
1: Uh, so uh, and also, Gordon, we have some new uh, Patreon supporters. We do
0: have some new Patreon backers. Uh, thank you to, you to Luke Watts and to Robin Robdog Dog Did uh, he
1: request that you put his write his name? That's like the that? name he gave to me. All and,
0: right, uh, I think. Uh, so I wanted to respect that decision. Uh, Robin would like a shout out for his thirtieth birthday. This week. Gefeliciteerd, um, Robin. Yes, there's lots of uh, people being correct- congratulated this week. Yeah, I know. So gefeliciteerd from us. Uh, Luke is in Amsterdam, um, but uh, is originally from Glastonbury. So presumably got here, came here to get away from all the hipster dads in 4x4s. I don't know what but any of those things mean. They take presumably. over Glastonbury every summer. Oh, ah, okay. Their, you know, the big open-air... Um, Festival. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and he's asking, I think, a little anxiously in light of the European election results if Nexit is gaining momentum.
1: Absolutely fucking not. I like, think not. No, I think the results
0: no. have gone very much the other way. Yeah. Actually, yeah it's, sp-
1: it's, been, it's been a real slapdown for Eurosceptic parties, I think.
0: Well, I think particularly for, yeah, uh, uh, for, for the Wilders, the PVV, yeah. who may get no seats in the European Parliament. I think we're just, we
1: may have a podcast podcast in the future where we just go months without referring to Geert Wilders. Oh, that will be really weird. It'll
0: be really weird. Yeah. There'll that, be something wrong with the universe. Yeah. Um, but we will be
1: discussing um, the full election results uh, next week because, yeah. of course, while the Netherlands has now voted uh, and the UK, uh, most of the other countries in Europe have not. So no, so we don't
0: gonna... have the results in. What we have is an exit poll that suggests yeah. that the, the Eurosceptic parties have not did, did not do as well as they hoped, yeah. basically. Although one for Digmund, C is a new party, Got th- it's going to get... Th- possibly three seats Yeah, it was hoping for four or five we will talk about, about this next week. next week Yeah, so stay tuned Luke uh, Robin is originally from Northern Ireland uh, he doesn't have a question but he's uh, he's asking if uh, he's asked me to attempt a Belfast accent which, I would uh, love to
1: hear a Belfast accent I don't from know
0: you. Mean you would especially if you used to live there I used to so, live there so, yeah, but no no he didn't ask me for a Belfast no, accent no I know that I have friends and colleagues who I respect very much from yeah. Northern Ireland and they're going to crucify me yes please
1: that's by far the best part of this yeah, but, but
0: given this Robin's birthday I feel uh, 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 I can't escape it but I've, uh, I've got a joke about Belfast accents. Which, okay uh, which uh, ho- which Hollywood actor do people in Belfast ask for when they want to pay in a restaurant?
1: Uh, I don't know which one
0: Bel <laughs> That's it that's my Belfast accent that's good We will
1: uh, <laughs> we will take that. This week, we're going to tell you about the strangest debate in Dutch politics, explain why a number of Dutch high schoolers may be crying, and of course, we're going to celebrate Eurovision. In our discussion, we talk about the new Dutch rape law. In response to last week's OPF, Prime Minister Mark Rutte and Forum for Democracy leader Cherry Baudet took to heart the advice of the Dutch News podcast and faced off this week in a debate which was sometimes interesting and frequently weird. The VVD leader called for the debate last week while campaigning on behalf of his party for European Parliament elections. The debate touched on a variety of subjects, including Nexit, the Dutch version of Brexit, which is what spurred the debate in the first place, and also strayed into other territory, including Bodet asking Rutte when the last time was that he cried, to which Rutte responded four months ago over the death of his sister, that Rita's sister had passed away was not actually well known.
0: No, and that was kind of a strange moment. It I was thought. extremely it was, strange. I mean, a strange moment in the middle of a very strange debate. Yeah. But, and just the fact that Ritz brought it up, and then they just moved on. Moved on. They just moved on. Yeah. And I thought that, that deserved a bit of reflection, yeah. surely. It was kind of strange. If you're, going to, if you're going to raise it, it's a private issue, so if he hadn't wanted to talk about it at all, fine. But he did bring it up, yeah. and then nobody asked. Well, but A sort of, all he said was when did it happen, and then... That was I mean, it. he was kind of he he, he kind in of backfired De on Boudet. Yeah, in, De Bay, Boudet. in
1: I mean, in Boudet's defense, like, of course, you he has no way of knowing because this hadn't no. like sort of been publicly made aware. And I suspect. I mean, this is a, a this is a bullshit question to ask. Yeah. But I suspect what he thought. Rita was going to say was some you know, something along the lines of like, you know, some kind of childhood trauma or I don't know, maybe the MH17 hmm. or something like this, right? Which like had happened years ago and was like a big thing. I mean, Baudet had no way of knowing that he was going to have such a much, Rita was going to have such a poignant response. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was all very strange.
0: Yeah. So, but but you know, I was kind of surprised that Euron Powell didn't just step in with a question or something. Yeah. it's mean, a chance coming you know, to just regret to destroy a human side. Maybe. I mean, yeah. he's lost two siblings. Yeah. In, by by you know the age of what is he? fifty Early fifties. Fifties. Yeah. You know, that that has to have affected his view of the world somehow.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah, But anyway, um, but what was the reaction more widely to the debate?
1: Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> Link's leader, A. Claver called it a sham. PVDA candidate for European elections, and hipster Santa Claus, Franz Timmermans, wondered quote, how do you help voters make up their mind with a debate between the right and the far right on exit, when that's something that nobody wants anyway?
0: And of course two candidates, or two people in debate, neither of whom are candidates in the election.
1: Right. The odd Day <laughs> described it as fiery and personal, but of little value to of voters, uh, Trow wondered if it was worth staying up late for because the debate started at eleven p.m. Yeah, did you stay up late for the debate? I did stay up and yeah. watch it. Yeah.
0: Did you watch the whole thing? I watched. I...
1: I watched the whole thing, but mostly because it was entertaining to watch Twitter like react to the debate and yeah. WhatsApp with Paul. So I mean, it was yeah. I'm not so sure I was into the debate aside from that.
0: Yeah, I just kind of found generally, I mean, that that um, what Buttigieg's tactic throughout seemed to be that every time he was asked a difficult question, he would go on a long kind of tirade about how the debate in the Netherlands has become politically correct and you can't say anything these days. And at the same time, actually not saying Saying anything, anything. which was kind of... I
1: uh, mean, unless he got asked a direct question like, what does he think leadership was to which he had no answer? And when he said, like, I don't basically like dodge this question, then the presenter was forced (laughs) to push him on it. It was all very awkward.
0: Yeah, so there's really and, and the audience as well was kind of something weird. I mean, um I don't know if you know this, but the, the Jeremy Carl show, which is like a Ryanair version of Jerry Springer, yeah. has just been shut down in the UK. Yeah, and I kinda of wondered if the Jeremy Carl audience had been brought over on a Stenna sea line ferry and shipped by minibus up to Hilversum. because yeah. people would spend the whole time sort of whooping the, and cheering, during, yeah, every it was every, all every very banality. That, uh, yeah, it was a very, a very odd thing. <laughs> yeah. Really strange. No, not very sort of Dutch way to do debate. No. So, but that wasn't the only debate taking place. Hell, it wasn't even <laughs> the only
1: debate on Thursday night. <laughs> Uh, Twelve other candidates for European Parliament elections debated each other in a scheduled debate. Uh, that debate was overrun by the Baudet-rooted face-off. Uh, NRC television critic Ariane fork said that the cockfights generated more excitement than the overcrowded <laughs> chicken run, which was no surprise, which I thought was an excellent uh, kind
0: of one It's a nice line, but you know what? I think that's more, it sort of says more about sort of how the media responded to the debate than how the public did. Because I think actually we found out, we'll, we'll talk about it in more depth next week, but yeah. the elections actually were more about Europe than people get credit for yeah. and the fact that the Labour Party in front Timmermans ended up being the winner rather yeah. than either of these two candidates right. kind of tells you that you know I think Ritter's strategy was he thought he could make a two-horse race and both parties would benefit actually what happened was because it was a a race between two parties on the right all the voters on the left lined up behind Franz Timmermans yeah. and pushed him into the lead yeah. so it sort of backfired yeah uh, did you vote Gordon? I did vote yes um, did you um, vote twice? I did not vote twice uh. as I said not vote twice not only did I not vote twice I um, actually uh, I cast one vote my vote in the Netherlands and then I put my British ballot paper through the shredder wow which that's was a very dedication. satisfying yeah. thing to do
1: uh, so as we've been sort of hinting at, the UK and the Netherlands were the first European countries to go to the polls on Thursday uh, this week. The rest of the countries throughout Europe are voting over the weekend. So we're actually going to be talking about European re- election results uh, next week. So you'll sort of tune in. Yeah, tune indeed. in for that. There are some preliminary um, results in terms of what has happened in the Netherlands, but official uh, sort of results aren't out yet. So we're going to no, just wait and talk wait it all the, about it next week.
0: Yeah, because they have to wait till everybody in Europe has voted, and the Italians last yeah, Sunday. and so we're... as ever, the Italians are late with everything.
1: Uh, The Belgians also go to the polls on Sunday. Ah, yes they do.
0: Yeah, that's Well, the Belgians as well, as ever, are late with everything. I mean, that's what happens when you're influenced by the French. (laughs) Asylum Minister Mark Harbers resigned this week in a row over statistics. Civil servants compiled a top ten list of crimes where the suspects were asylum seekers, but the most serious crimes, such as rape and murder, were included in the category Other. Harbours had warned them not to come up with the ranking for exactly that reason, but he said Parliament had been misinformed and as a minister responsible he had to resign. The 4,600 incidents logged by police included four suspected rapes, five allegations of child abuse and 31 accusations of murder shoplifting and pickpocketing headed the list about half the incidents involved asylum seekers from so-called safe countries like Morocco and Algeria so uh, Gordon
1: how did this happen why were these numbers like left off the list in the first place this well, doesn't make any sense well no
0: it was it was just a really badly configured exercise because it was a list of crimes by volume yeah. and obviously rape and murder are horrific crimes but thankfully they're not very common, common crimes so that's why they were lumped into this category of other which was about a thousand offences but of course when the, the, the media realised that there was a story to be had here and went to and and inquired after the details of the figures and of course it turned out that that there were cases of rape and murder including this other category and it caused a great big storm and it gave a free hit to politicians like Geert Wilders to accuse the government of covering up inconvenient figures and blame multiculturalism for everything which of course he duly did of course. But at the end of the whole episode you know, it's all still very unclear, we don't know how this decision was taken, we don't know why Harbour's advice was just ignored and crucially of course we still don't know how many serious offences asylum seekers have actually committed Right. although what we do know is that there were 4,000 4,600 incidents investigated, but that led to 1,748 convictions. So that's a smaller number. The
1: other thing that I have not seen in any of the discussion about this is comparing the crime rate from asylum seekers to the native Dutch population. Because I think many times when this discussion happens, right, like 4,600 incidents seems like dramatically very high. And like, this is 1,700 crimes. I mean, that's like a lot. But I suspect once you compare it Mm. to, I mean, most of the literature on this shows that like... Uh, immigrants actually commit fewer crimes. Yeah. And we, do,
0: we don't know how many uh, yeah asylum seekers this covers. And of course uh, a lot of these incidents as well took place in asylum seeker centres. Yeah. So the victim was also an asylum, asylum seeker. seeker. So it's not like this is a case of asylum seekers going out into the community yeah. and endangering the native Dutch population, which yeah. is how lots of politicians frame it. They're yeah. saying we shouldn't yeah. let these people in because they're dangerous.
1: And the other thing, of course, that this doesn't address is, is that most asylum seekers who are, you know, fleeing from places where they have been subjected to torture and, and terror and the these kinds of things suffer from a whole litany of yeah. mental health issues as a result of this. And like, that is also like, does not seem to be a thing that is yeah. addressed the fact that, you know, we sort of have this forgiving attitude when Dutch soldiers, I mean, this happens in every country. It's not just the Netherlands come mm-hmm. back from war, right. That they become an alcoholic because they've seen stuff and they, they get a DUI. Right. But yeah. like, we sort of have a bit more of a forgiving sort of mindset towards that, but we don't seem to be offering that towards, you know, the victims of war or sex trafficking or yeah. any of the things that these people have gone through. Speaking of people having a hard time at
0: it. <laughs> people who have been traumatized in youth. People who yes. <laughs> have been
1: traumatized in youth, yeah. An estimated 20,000 children leaving primary school this year have been given the wrong grade in their year eight exams, and around 8% of them are set to go to the wrong type of school. That's according to the education ministry this week. The grade is used to help determine what sort of secondary school is suitable for children once they reach the age of 12. So you can go to vocational school or VMBO, HAVO, or that's the pre-college thing, or VVEO, which is pre-university. In most cases, the children were given too high of a grade. Teachers are responsible for telling pupils what sort of secondary school they will go to earlier in the year, and the exams, which are taken in April, are used as an extra indication. Quote, changes to the school recommendations are unavoidable, said Education Minister Ari Slob. Most children have already chosen or been allocated to a secondary school.
0: So, again, the question uh, comes back that we had just had with Mark Harbers. How did this happen?
1: That is the million-euro question, is it not, Gordon? Mistakes were found in the final scores of some 20,000 tests of exams taken in April. In 8% of the cases, around 1,600, the mistakes mean that the child concern is set to go to the wrong sort of school. The ministry said the mistakes were not made on the CITO exams, which are by far the most popular mm. tests, but were instead identified in the IEP Einstutz, Route 8, DIA Einstutz, and the AMN tests so, <laughs> I, I yeah, don't know what any of these things use. are yeah yeah, yeah of no, course. But if you're
0: a parent of a child who's got just uh, stepping up from uh, primary to secondary school yeah. it's a great big thing the CETO test or the various competitors yeah. that come in it's, it's a huge kind of hurdle yeah. your child has to get over and then this whole advice of what level of school they go into yeah. although it has to be said there is a lot of increasingly more movement during secondary school now so kids who might start at have level say but they turn out to be you know they, they, they then come on a bit and they move up to Favio yeah. or they're over or they're actually over Overstretched, and they move back down a level. Yeah, so, and
1: you've also seen an increase in the number of. I mean, I know this from working at uh, at the TU that you see an increase in the number of these like um, transition year programs. So, mm-hmm. for example, you go to Havo for your bachelor's degree, and then you do this sort of transition year, and then you go to university yeah. for your master's degree or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, so it's f-
0: more flexible, I think, than people realize, and certainly the parents who think that whether their child succeeds or fails at the age of twelve is going to condemn them. An earthquake measuring 3.4 on the Richter scale hit the village of Vesterweitwert in Kroninger province on Wednesday morning. It's the third largest quake caused by gas extraction in the province and has prompted fresh calls for the process of shutting down the gas fields to be speeded up. More than 800 claims of damage have been filed since the quake and two smaller tremors on Thursday. Prime Minister Mark Gutter responded on breakfast television saying the optimism generated by the discovery of natural gas in Groningen in the 1950s had, quote, turned into a nightmare. MPs have backed a parliamentary inquiry into gas production, which has been operated by a joint venture of oil companies Shell and ExxonMobil. Last year, the government said production would stop altogether in 2030.
1: And there was some uh, good Eric Vibas half this week, <laughs> was there was. not, Gordon? Yeah,
0: Eric Vibas, uh, who's uh, originally when he announced the plans to shut down the gas production, he that, that, that was uh, very popular in Kornia, and uh, he was uh, kind of seen as the, the guy who was going to fix things. But he's, the shine's come off him a bit uh, recently, and uh, yeah, he committed a bit of a faux pas this week, because he went up. To Cronia to sort of reassure people that yes uh, they were still um, on track to shut it down by 2030 and if the cabinet can end it sooner then it will. Uh, unfortunately at one point he called the incident a baby quake, a little which, quake, a little quake, a baby quake, yeah, a yeah. baby quake, a sort of tremor, yeah, I mean, barely a murmur really, yeah. and that uh, caused a rather big murmur on Twitter. Yeah. Weber said he misspoke and the cabinet would continue to work to find ways to improve and accelerate the decommissioning process. Quote that's what Kroninger's deserved but it sort of underlines how sensitive this issue is in Kroninger understandably. Yeah. I mean People's if you Yeah, if
1: your house was falling apart, you would be sensitive about it, too. And As everyone already knows, it was the best week in Europe this week. (laughs) No, I'm not talking about parliamentary elections. I'm talking about Eurovision. And even better for us, the Dutch won. Yes. Dutch Eurovision Song Festival Entry Arcade by Duncan Lawrence took home the prize on Saturday night, as I'm sure everybody already knows. And this means next year the contest will be staged in the Netherlands. Yeah. In a surprise this week, it was announced that due to a human error, the Netherlands was actually awarded more points than originally given. Arcade was given 498 points. Italy finished second with 472 and Russia third with 370.
0: Okay, so Duncan Lawrence isn't very famous. Uh, how did he end up being the Netherlands' representative?
1: Basically because he's not very famous. <laughs> uh, Lawrence reached the semi-final stages of the Voice of Holland competition in 2014, and he was a strategic choice because he was easier to steer. That's according to song contest experts who told the broadcaster NOS last year. Mm-hmm. Quote, It will be useful if he does what he is told and is relatively uncritical, <laughs> NOS reporter Martijn Vandersande <laughs> no. said. Last year's entrance, Wayland, irritated the contestant selection committee by demanding to choose the song and apparently picked fights with
0: the press. All right. I have to say, in the wake of um, the Eurovision win, I saw some of the most Dutch headlines in newspapers I've ever seen because oh, immediately the issue that they l- l- latched onto was who's going to pay or how are we going to pay for next year's contest. I tweeted this.
1: The front <laughs> cover of the <laughs> Day afterwards, there's yeah. like this big block. Ooh, yeah. How much will this cost? And the
0: first thing that Ritter said was, "Well, after congratulating Duncan Lawrence, in fairness to him, after he said that, the next thing he said was... No public money. Yeah, there'll be no extra public money. Yeah. And the commentators said it's going to cost about 30 million to put this on which said, oh no, Sweden did it for 15, 15 million. million. Yeah. yeah, so that's his benchmark. Yep, a cut price Ryanair Eurovision next year. That's that's yeah. the Dutch way. And uh, where is the contest going to be held?
1: It could be anywhere, Gordon. <laughs> could the, be Swola, it
0: could be Zwolle It could be Zvola.
1: Yeah. The final chords of Duncan Lawrence's Victory loud performance of Arcade had barely fallen silent on Sunday morning as Dutch cities began jostling for the right to stage next year's event.
0: Yeah, um, Rotterdam was throwing his hat in, I think. Yeah, uh, with the there, Ahoy, yeah. Z-
1: the Ziggo Dome of course. Yeah. Uh, Ar- people are talking about Arnhem and the Helder Dome.
0: Yeah, um, Uh, The Hague, of course, uh, staged it the last two times. Yeah, but that was
1: 40 goddamn years ago.
0: Yeah, because the last time the Dutch staged the event was not when they last won it, but um, in 1979, because uh, Israel had won it twice in a row, two years in a row, and it was going to cost them too much. Yeah. So they they passed it on, and uh, the Dutch picked it up. Yep. So
1: um The owner of the uh, Adeo Stadium said that they could have it there, except that there's a problem, which is that the audio Stadium has no roof, which he <laughs> said was an, an issue that could be fixed. It could be fixed somehow. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's also up of course, because um, Amsterdam's mayor from Gehalsemar said that uh, Amsterdam would be willing to host the event. Of course, Amsterdam has been spending the last kind of month saying they don't want any more tourists.
1: Yeah, Ex- <laughs> except for Eurovision tourists. Yeah, Gordon, except for Eurovision pass.
0: tourists. Excelsior will join NRC Breda in the Jupele League next season after they lost their playoff semi-final to RKC Valwijk. The Rotterdam club lost 3-2 over two legs, and that means they've been relegated after five seasons in the Eredivisie. Valwijk now go on to play Go Ahead Eagles, which is a great name for a football team. I love the name, that name. That's my favourite
1: <laughs> Dutch football name.
0: Yeah, uh, in their playoff final, while in the other competition, Sparta Rotterdam will attempt to unseat de Graafschap from their place in the top division.
1: I have, I have several questions. <laughs> I one is, is one of these names... Kraschraf, like Kraschraf like, like, yeah. like, like, I yeah. want to call them Kraschraf though
0: Kraschraf, yeah, yeah, that would De, be a better Kass name Kraschraf, that's yeah. a good name, yeah.
1: yeah Um. More important question, are there two finals? How yeah. does that work?
0: It's a bizarre, crazy competition <laughs> called oh, the Now Competitsi which is, is all about so promotion and relegation where two teams from the top division fight to stay in the division and, uh, against four teams from the lower division but it's not the four teams that finish in the top four places it's four teams that have won one quarter of the season they're called um, <laughs>
1: Eurovision voting makes more sense it than does. this. It really
0: does. Yeah. Uh, but don't try and get your head around it too much because the uh, Canfaby is scrapping it next season. Okay, uh, great. And they're just going to go for the unconventional system of two teams go up, two teams go down.
1: I'm going to... Pretend we just didn't have this conversation then. <laughs> uh, and there's a Dutch player who's uh, heading off to Barcelona, Yeah. another son. Huh?
0: Yeah, yeah, of course, Frankie de Jong is off for 85 million euros. Yeah, uh, that was agreed in January. But now Ludovic de Reis, who was playing for Groningen last season, only 18 years old, but he's caught the eye of the Catalan club's scouts. He's moving for a three and a, three and a quarter million euro deal, and that fee could be doubled depending on appearances and bonuses and all that kind of thing. Uh, surprise move, given his age. Although he has played 50 times for Groningen and they were very good in defence last season. He's probably not going to line up next to de Jong, um, he's more likely to play in the B team initially. Gotcha. But uh, yeah, well, Good, nice for him. And he's, him. There's now three Dutch players at uh, Barcelona they're, because they're a goalkeeper. Also there.
1: I wonder if the Spanish government is complaining about an invasion of Dutch footballers. They probably will. We'll be okay. discussing the Netherlands finally putting a decent sexual assault law in place after this word from our sponsors.
0: Hey you, you, listening to the podcast for free. We're really glad you all like our OPF coverage and Dick Lawyer jokes, but it costs money to bring them to your ears. If you have a few extra bucks and you would like to support the work we do, you can now back us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com dutchnewsNL to donate. We will give a shout out to all our backers on the podcast. If you donate 50 euros, Gordon will dedicate the next podcast to his love of lavender waffles. For 75 euros, Molly will watch one entire football match. And for the low, low, low amounts of 100 euros, I will vote for the Socialist Party in the next election. So please go to patreon.com slash DutchNewsNL to support us and keep Truby Fed, which is very important.
1: First, a trigger warning. This week we are talking about the passing of a law against sexual violence in the discussion, and as part of that we will be discussing some sexually violent acts. If you don't want to listen to that, feel free to stop the podcast now as a soothing balm for this intense discussion we will include a link in the liner notes to my new favorite youtube channel which is about a golden retriever named tucker and he's very fluffy yeah go watch that instead of uh of listening to to us us talk about about sexual assault if you don't want to The Dutch government plans to bring in new legislation which will make having sex with someone against their will, which does not involve violence, a crime. While rape and sexual assault are already on the statute books, the new legislation will make it illegal to have sex with someone while knowing that they are unwilling. If in doubt, people will have to check with their partners if they consent.
0: Okay, so what does the law say as it stands?
1: So currently, officially, for rape to be prosecuted as rape... force or the threat of force must be used Um, it also must involve penetration Uh, sexual assault is a separate crime Um, that includes non-penetrative acts and force isn't required for prosecution but in those cases the victim must then be unable to resist for example if they are intoxicated or disabled
0: okay but that doesn't seem to really sort of cover all the scenarios that we think of as rape these days
1: does not fucking do that does Mm -hmm. it uh in some cases rape and sexual assault charges have been dropped because the victim is frozen and unable to defend themselves or because no violence was Involved, this legislation will make it possible to prosecute sex without consent, as well as sex uh, involving force. According to Gordon's favorite minister, Justin Minister Ferdinand Krupperhaus, Um, He told lawmakers this week that the hashtag MeToo movement shows how widespread sexually unacceptable behavior has become and that the current legislation is not properly equipped to deal with it.
0: Yeah, although this seems to me to predate MeToo because most countries moved towards a consent basis of rape laws some time ago.
1: Not most countries. um, Some countries. Uh, In 2018, Sweden passed legislation that outlawed any sexual act that is done without consent. Sometimes this is referred to like the yes means yes law. The Justice Ministry actually referred to this in a statement about the Dutch bill... Writing, quote, a no is a no, but no, no does not mean yes. Uh, if the other person does not speak out clearly, you first have to investigate whether or not he or she wants sexual contact. This is the case when someone stiffens out of fear or stops participating at any time. A hesitant or changing attitude is a signal. That's what Hopperhouse said hmm. during a meeting with lawmakers. If in doubt, people should check with their partner if they consent. And he also said, "No means no," but "no, no" does not mean yes.
0: Okay, so this kind of shifts the burden of responsibility, basically. So that if you're in, yeah, you know, if you're meeting somebody in a situation, uh, you, and you're not sure whether or not they want to have sex with you, the onus is on you ask to make them. to make sure first to us and yeah. to get their consent. And also, I guess if it comes to court at a later stage, you've, you'll have to show that you actually, you know, you actually established satisfactorily that, yeah, you know, that they did want, they, they did, they, they did consent to have sex with you. It's not enough just to say. Yeah, I, I felt like, you know, that they, uh, they wanted to or whatever. Yeah, yeah.
1: kind of. Um, yeah. In Sweden and also in Spain, um, what they have done is shifted the burden of proof from the victim to the perpetrator. So in essence, if you're the victim of sexual assault, it becomes your attacker's responsibility to prove that there was consent rather than you proving that there was not consent. In a radio interview with Radio AIM this week, house said that they have no intention of following the example of Spain and Sweden. So this kind of burden of proof thing in court is not like sort of as important as sort of being able to prosecute cases of rape in which like an explicit no is not given. So they haven't gone quite as far Mm. as some other countries in the European Union have.
0: Yeah. Um, Of course we should Add as well. This is re- still at the consultation stage, a yeah. very early stage of legislation. There will be all kinds of, you know, um, yeah, feedback sessions, and yeah. uh, the bill still has to go be, be drafted and go before parliament. Yes. So a lot can change. Uh,
1: yeah, a lot can change. Yeah. And Gordon, you are uh, you have some knowledge about this, not of course from a personal perspective, I hope, but no. because Scotland passed a somewhat similar bill a few years ago, right? Well, it didn't
0: pass a bill. What happened was there was a there was a court case um, because uh, Scotland has a uh, has a separate legal system from England and Wales, of so it has we're its own not. laws. Has own courts and it has its own law of rape and unlike in england where the law was changed some time ago to say that non-consensual sex was rape in scotland it was still as in the netherlands uh, that there had to be evidence of some force being used or threatened yeah. and a student was acquitted back in 2002 of rape because the judge said he had no case to answer didn't even get to the jury because there had been no evidence of force and that was then taken the lord advocate who's the Head of the prosecution service in Scotland brought this case to the appeal court um, to try and to try and establish, based in Scots law, that force or that non-consent was the equivalent of um, of force, and he succeeded. the The, the panel of judges ruled that uh, if you if you showed that someone did not consent to sex, then they had been forced. But there was a, there was kind of a bit of a, a backlash to this at the time, and it still remains the case by people, and I kind of agree with this that uh, really this should have been done by actually parliament bringing a new law and saying black on white that you know, rape was sex without consent. Instead, what you have is a situation where that's what the law says, but the courts interpret that as being non-consent. So although the courts have interpreted that way, and ever since uh, they, you know, this judgment has been um, recognised by uh, future courts, what's to stop the courts interpreting it the other way um, right. at a later stage? You know, you've had this discussion in the States of the Roe versus Wade. Yeah. There's now a move by a more conservative Supreme Court to try and roll it back. It would be even better, I think, to actually make sure that it says on the statute book, that's after all you know, what Parliament's supposed to do, um to have a clearly defined law of rape that say, you know is appropriate for the 21st century.
1: Yeah. Which I think is what the Dutch are are trying it's to Dutch do. What the Dutch are trying yeah. to do basically.
0: Yeah. yeah. So how uh, has the uh, th- this proposal been uh, received in the Netherlands?
1: It's been pretty pretty well. Uh, Schlokt for help Nederland, which is the like uh, victims advocacy organization, uh, told RTL quote the recognition is very important for victims. Um, and then they said that they were very happy with the proposed legislation. Some lawyers, however, don't like it. Uh, Sydney Smates, a lawyer at Sprong Advocata, told Het Parool with the new bill, every man is seen as a potential perpetrator or a rapist unless he can prove afterwards that it happened with mutual consent. And besides, sexuality is not always rational and also not as romantic as you see in films. Sometimes things happen happen that you don't like, you can talk about that and then you do it differently next time. Criminal law must remain far from it. Uh, I think no one should have sex with Sidney Smates here.
0: I think that's very good advice, yeah. Um,
1: (laughs) I mean, I don't think that this is true, that the new bill, every man is seen as a potential perpetrator or a rapist. I do think that there is more burden on often men to prove that sex was consensual, though the way that it has been up until now is the burden of proof is on women to prove that the sex wasn't consensual. So, I, I mean, if if that's unfair mm. if you think it's unfair for men to have to prove that it was consensual why is it not fair for women to have to prove that it wasn't consensual
0: it's always just generally very difficult to prove a negative yeah in, yeah in, in any situation
1: but i think sort of going with a yes means yes kind of consent model allows for discussions and encourages people who are engaging in sexual behavior to get active consent um, and that i think is is ultimately with the benefit of this particular bill is also i mean he goes on to say this sort of thing about sometimes things happen that you don't like um which should should not be sort of brushed off so easily i think one of these problems is here is is that you know we have this weird notion of 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 sexuality as something that you can't really talk about that's something you can't really discuss and that like if you have to get active consent that somehow it ruins the mood um and that like should not be the concern if you can't ask your partner who you're having sex with whether or not they want to keep having sex with you you probably should just not be having sex with that person
0: yeah and hopefully it's going to change the culture of uh, as you say i mean certainly in, in the past in like the, the courts in england you had the whole business of people's you know women's sexual history will be brought up in rape trials so that in, with the mm-hmm. implication that if you'd agreed to have sex with somebody once then you sort of consented forever more and yeah. you, you lost the right to change your mind yeah a you know? kind of woman's right to change her mind uh it's kind of key here yeah yeah
1: there's a really great British cartoonist who drew this sort of consent model as a cup of tea, which is that like just because you had a cup of tea yesterday does not mean you can be force fed a cup of tea today. Or even just because you've taken a sip from this cup of tea does not mean you can be force fed the rest of it, um, which goes to the sort of idea that once people consent to engaging in a sex act, they can no longer like withdraw their consent, which is also very problematic. Um, So I think the Dutch law does a good job in sort of trying to shift um, the discussion of this from... Uh, you know saying that going from well the whole act entirely if you're not forced into it you know with some sort of form of violence that that's, that's the only definition of rape to moving it towards you know each individual component of a sexual encounter should be consented to um, and that mm-hmm. if you are not giving that consent or if it seems like your partner freezes and is not like yeah. sort of actively participating that the burden is on you to stop that sexual encounter and to check in with them.
0: Yeah very much and I think that hopefully it will lead to- to a changing culture, I think uh, it's tended to be uh, as a man, you're expected to be the initiator, and you're supposed to sort of take the lead and make the running, and you know, and, and just keep going and not really check to see. It Doesn't necessarily mean. Uh, you know you have to stop every five minutes yeah. but you know so, but look for signs if, yeah. if that it's not going well and maybe you know the, the person who and the other thing is you know somebody might want to get into a taxi with you and go home but then decide halfway through the cup of coffee or even at a later stage actually I don't fancy this yeah. and they should have the right to do that and not so sort of feel inhibited um, or you know cultured into feeling like you know I've well I've, I've kind of signed up for this and I can't go back yeah. which I think is a, you know, often where people get into trouble
1: yeah and it seems I mean that whole thing seems like madness because if yeah. you get like a Charlie horse during sex and you want to stop like there are places in the world i mean this is not specifically discussing the netherlands but there are places in the world where like you just have to like power through or you're supposed to legally Mm. because like you now can no longer withdraw your consent now that you've entered into this like sexual act and so i mean i think that this is just an extremely outdated and damaging model of how consent works and i hope also that this new legislation going forward will encourage sort of the way that we talk about sex in the netherlands and in in particular, the way that sex education is organized moves more towards a discussing like getting active consent from your partner how do power imbalances in relationships work and these sorts of things which will give people the tools to be able to have like much more explicitly consented to sexual encounters
0: yeah because I mean I, I think I agree that um, yeah, sex education in the Netherlands is broadly pretty good compared to other countries yeah, but for even sure. here it is still yeah, know some sort of focus is more on the mechanics yeah. and things like you know avoiding pregnancy when you don't want it or you know not getting STDs right and maybe yeah, it's still maybe there's a bit of work to do, and it's encouraging a culture of respect and mutual respect, and you know being aware that uh, you know reading the signs and not kind of pressing through. And also, I mean, the thing I sort of to instill in my children—we don't talk about sex a great deal, partly because we're all autistic and communications hard—but it's the, thing, the sort of overriding thing I try to uh, sort of say to them. You know, is that you know sex can be great fun, but only if both parties are up for it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not fun, and you shouldn't go ahead with it.
1: Or or, or all parties. I mean, sex is not limited. That is true as well. That is important. Um, No, I mean, I think that that's a really good, like, kind of generic, like, life lesson in general. That, like, most things are fun with other people if everybody is, like, actively and interested in participating. And the fact that we don't and haven't traditionally sort of, like, taught that model, I think... Um, has led to a lot of like problematic like sort of sexual encounters and also sort of does a lot to encourage um situations in which women feel that they can't uh, speak up about like their preferences and sort of gives a lot of carte blanche to men for you know committing acts that they, um, are either aware are creepy or maybe even are unaware of like how they come off in sort of a, a power dynamic situation. Um, so hopefully this whole process will hope to move things you know in a in a better direction.
0: Yeah, definitely. Because one of the things that I think emerged in the course of the Me Too discussion that you know uh, in the when when it first came up 18 months ago was how much there's a kind of underground network among women or sort of, you know a lot of whispering about saying to particular men don't get in a room on your own with him or don't be at a party. Where there's alcohol, you know, and, and, and men, I think, just are unaware that uh, this goes on. That, that women are constantly watching each other's backs and you're know, passing on messages about your know, particular individuals that, uh, that they're not safe to be around. Yeah. And we just don't realise the extent to which this happens. And that s- some men. Um, have been doing this systematically and are quite, quite consciously do it. Other men maybe do it to a lesser extent and are less aware but are never just pulled up about it. Yeah. And it means this this culture is just perpetrated and it never goes to the authorities. No one ever raises a complaint. It just kind of, we just kind of muddle through and hopefully it'll be a more open, more transparent situation where people who are really badly damaged or, you know, victimized, uh, no longer feel that they have to be silent.
1: Yeah, and I I hope it also leads to a situation where, like, men are more aware of what is happening Mm -hmm. and also feel more of an obligation to do something about this and call out this behavior when they see it. I mean, I I think every woman can talk endlessly about, you know, friend group situations where all the women in the friend group find someone, you know, a male person in the friend group kind of creepy and, like, engaging in behavior that makes them very uncomfortable. And, you know, when you mention this to the men, the other men in the friend group, they don't see it and they don't believe it and they don't, like, sort of have your back in these situations, which is kind of what leads to these whisper networks in the first place. And so I think one of the things that the Me Too movement has done is opened the eyes of a lot of men who could be or are interested in being good allies, but were unaware of, like, how sort of big the problem was Um, and that I hope that, like you know, Hrapa House coming out on public television. I mean, he was on talk show M talking mm. about how like we need a yes means yes model of consent. And if you're not sure if your partner is consenting, you need to stop and ask them. And like, that should be the norm for, you know, all of these like situations. So hopefully it just makes it more part of like the cultural discussion.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that shocked me a while ago, um, a, a statistic that shocked me was that um, uh, police, I think uh, dismissed, round about I think it was something like sixty percent of rape complaints. Um because they didn't believe them they thought the 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 complainant either made them up or exaggerated them and uh, so and therefore these cases never even got to court never even never never mind she got tested in court and then thrown out which also happens a lot but never actually got to the court and um an academic did a study into several hundred cases i think um where he analyzed cases and uh, it looked on the basis of the evidence whether or not the complaint was likely to be fabricated and he concluded that that happened about 5% of cases. Yeah. When that wasn't 5%, were totally made up. Sometimes they were just like it was a sexual assault, but the complainant described it as a rape or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, the fact that police are throwing out 60% of cases yeah. makes you realise there's a, you know, a structural, big structural problem and an awful lot of actual offences are just going on and not even going to court
1: yeah well and and let alone not going to court i mean most sexual assault cases are not even reported to the police Mm. so they're not even there for the police to throw them out i mean the process of doing that is so difficult and humiliating and traumatizing that many people decide even if there is very good say physical evidence Um, and they feel like they're a very good quote-unquote like victim um, you know that they aren't they weren't you know drunk or like something like this which is very you know common for the judicial system to kind of pick apart they don't report these cases because they know how difficult it is I mean I think most women the overwhelming majority of women that I know that have been sexually assaulted uh, have never reported their sexual assault to any authority because of how difficult it is to prosecute and how much of an uphill battle you face so again I just hope that like shifting the discussion and shifting kind of where the burden is on on consent moves towards more people pursuing and prosecuting cases of sexual assault and sexual violence
0: yeah it just seems just not credible this idea that you know large numbers of women are making up rape complaints to sort of get back at men or whatever, you know, it, it may happen in a tiny handful of cases because human mis- deceit takes many forms, but it, it's a hell of a thing to put yourself through yeah. to, you know, re- report a rape and then go to the police, be answered, lots of very, ask lots of in, very intrusive questions over a long period and then have to go to court. Yeah, it's, it's not a thing you do lightly. and I no. can't believe that it happens in more than a tiny, tiny number of situations. Yeah.
1: And most, I mean, most of the research into this shows that people who do report false Uh, accusations of rape sort of report them against like a generic perpetrator as opposed to someone specifically. It's like even more rare that someone reports a sexual assault complaint to the police um, that's directed at a particular person um, and for that to be like in, in a false manner um, generally false sort of sexual assault allegations are you know a stranger in a ski mask jumped out of a bushes kind of thing um, so it's a really overrepresented uh, concept that we have for something that is like ve- a very very small um, um, number of situations and you know you see people sort of saying things like you know criminal law must remain far from this like sort of movement of consent I, I mean which just goes to show you, I think, how ingrained it is in society that women are frequently lying about sexual assault allegations and that most of this is just like a misunderstanding and that if we change these rules... Uh, there's going to be lots of good men who who go to jail for Mm. things that weren't actually crimes, uh, and I think that that's a very false narrative. That was a fun and uplifting conversation.
0: Yeah. um.
1: I highly recommend anyone that slogged through it to the end go sort of cleanse your palate with a a cute uh, Golden Retriever video. I certainly plan to do that We are definitely going to do that once we're done recording. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can now send comments, compliments, and abuse by email to podcast at Dutchnews.nl. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and not Paul Paters. I'm Molly Quell. We'll be back next week. <laughs>